Welcome to Thinking with Dr. Barry Whitney. This podcast series is compiled from Dr. Whitney's university class entitled Justifying Beliefs. The thesis of this class is that we all hold beliefs, and no matter what they are or how deeply we adhere to them, we owe it to ourselves to apply rational testing of our beliefs in order to aim to justify them. This class takes us along that journey, perhaps for the first time or more deeply. For further insights and materials mentioned in this series, please refer to the resource page on Facebook entitled Thinking with Dr. Barry Whitney. There has to be some kind of an objective reality or else this moral conscience doesn't make any sense. It can't come from us. It can't come from society. It can't come from the blind and conscious nature. It seems to be a very good argument for believing in God's existence. That's what God does. God exists and part of God's reality is, is, uh, is goodness and wants us to share that goodness and choose the good over the evil. There is such a thing as good and evil. The moral argument is interesting. Now, that's our first test, our first test case. Um, how do we justify religious belief in God? Well, the moral argument is one way and there's lots more. The second one we looked at was the cosmological argument. There has to be a first cause to explain why we're here. Cosmological. Cosmos, logos. Like there's a rational reason for the cosmos existing. Cosmological argument is an argument that there has to be a first cause to explain contingent, dependent beings. We can't explain ourselves. It used to be um, a weaker argument when before 1965, when people working for Bell Laboratories, I didn't have that date last time, but I checked it, it's 1965, two uh, uh, scientists, we'll call them, special disciplines, two scientists working for Bell Laboratories found evidence, microwave radiation, that looked like it was evidence from a Big Bang. In other words, that the cosmos began. And, you know, until that point, science was divided. It was saying that your cosmological argument is not, you know, that God exists because it has to explain all this contingency, the, these dependent beings that can't explain themselves why anything exists at all. That wasn't a strong argument until 1965, quite frankly, because science simply had to say, for all we know, the universe has always existed. It, it didn't have a cause. It just exists. Well, 1965, we have evidence that there was a Big Bang, that it started. And now we have all kinds of evidence. The Hubble telescope in 1999 just shot back some evidence. Um, there's other stuff. Uh, uh, Hubble himself, whom the telescope is named after, is the one who discovered the red shifts, even before 1965. Um, and, and, and the red shifts in the stars show that they're moving away from us at a very high speed. Um, like the universe is expanding in all directions, like a balloon blowing up. Now, how can, be, how can it be expanding in all directions unless it started somewhere? And that's evidence for the Big Bang, or otherwise known more properly as spontaneous generation. So what I'm saying is the cosmological argument in the last 30 years, 40 years, has become a little more important. Um, we've always used it. The originators actually had an argument that even if the universe is always existing, you still need a God, 
like science, we, we, we still use the argument. Uh, we used it before 1965, but it's even more important now because science is conceding that there was a start, that the universe did begin. In fact, Muslim scholars um, invented a version of the cosmological argument that we're not looking at here called the Kalam, K-A-L-A-M version, and that's an argument to show that the universe can't be infinite. The Muslims did that centuries ago, and Christians have picked that argument up as valid. So it's not just Christians who use this argument, but Muslims and all kinds of theists. So there's some good cosmological arguments. And, and now, you know, somebody like a Stephen Hawking admits, one of the major scientists you know, living right now, saying that I, I'm resisting that the universe began not on scientific reasons, but on philosophical ones. Because if I admit that the universe had a beginning, then I have to worry about whether a god did it or not because I can't think of any other option. So this cosmological argument all of a sudden has become important. That's very good evidence for justifying belief in God that the universe began. Now you tell me if the universe began 15 or 18 billion years ago, as science says with their calculations, um, how did it begin? can't cause itself. It can't have no cause. We can't use it. It's always existed anymore. That doesn't work because the evidence is against that. There are very few options left except to say it looks like there's a first cause. And 2,500 years ago, Aristotle, in ancient Greece, student of, of, of uh, Plato, who was a student of Socrates, Aristotle gave us the argument that there must be a first cause to explain the existence of all this contingency. It's a good argument. I wish we could do more. I wish we could look at, that's what we do next term in the atheism class. We look at what the atheists say and why, you know, just, just so you know it's out there. Maybe not this year or next year, whatever. If you ever need to do more, there's lots more. You probably have enough information already, though. Just knowing the argument exists to find it on your own. But there's, uh, if you need the information, it's an exciting field, this cosmology. Wondering about the cosmos, its beginning, its structure, where it came from. Physics and, and theology and philosophy are all involved in that. Very exciting field. Uh, 40 years ago, there was no such thing as cosmology, but now it's, it's a legitimate science in its own right to explain the existence of all of this. The tragedy, from my perspective as a theologian, is that the scientists, because they do science and not theology, try to explain the existence of the cosmos purely scientifically, naturalistically. And I think it's impossible. I don't think you can explain the existence of something by saying that it somehow it must have come into existence by causes of its own making. Because if this is all there is, if the cosmos is all there is, it must have somehow caused itself, but it, makes no, it, it just makes no sense to say that. So science really has a roadblock here. And, and, and uh, it's not just that argument, but the one we'll talk about here right now, the cosmological arguments about why is there anything at all that's always been the big famous philosophical question, you know. Why is there something and not nothing? Why does anything exist at all? Well, the cosmological argument says God is the best explanation. It's not conclusive. It, there could be, for all we know, a universe that doesn't have a cause. Like, it doesn't make sense, but it could be. But there's independent evidence that there's a God. There's all kinds of evidence besides this one, that God is the first cause. The cosmological argument doesn't stand alone. It's just one piece of the puzzle, one justification for belief in God. 
It's a good one, though. It's a good piece of, of evidence. But it's not conclusive. No one can ever say that we've proven God exists now. Um, it, we can say it, it looks like our belief in God, our faith in God is justified with high probability based on this argument. But, you know, if you look at the evidence through scientific eyes, I mean, the evidence can just fall on your head like a brick and you won't see it. And we're blinded by biases and prejudices on both sides. So that's the name of the game with justifying our beliefs, is you get beyond all of these sociological and psychological reasons and start looking for the rational evidences and which one is the most adequate to all of the evidence. Science doesn't look at all of the evidence. That's my gripe. Science doesn't even consider that there might be a supernatural presence that caused the universe. It's off the chart. It won't consider it. So, of course, I find science limited. Um, cosmological argument is strong now. Here's how the other one goes with it, right? The cosmological argument is saying the justification for belief in God is that God has to be the reason there's anything at all existing. God's the first cause. Now, granting that we have something existing, we move on to the teleological argument, which asks a different question. Okay, what we see that's existing now, I don't care if you grant it was God or you know the cosmological argument or just, just put that aside for a minute. Now, now the problem is not explaining why the universe exists, but why, the teleological argument asks, why is it ordered? Like, did the order, did the universe when it came into existence, however, that's not the question, how did it order itself into this intricate, interconnecting, interpenetrating, completely complex machine, organism, whatever analogy we want to use? This is order amid chaos. Why isn't the universe just dead chaos? Why is it so ordered? Why is it so structured? And, you know, even when 200 years ago when we were discovering the science of anatomy and, uh, and, and microscopes and, and all of these things, and we, 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 I mean, we thought the world was ordered. But, I, I mean, now with quantum physics and microbiology, we're overwhelmed with the order. Like the, the genes, the information that's in a gene would fill, you know, millions and millions and millions of pages in one gene in, in, in a book. It's incredible how structured and complex the world is. So the teleological argument's trying to say, by analogy, I'll give you the famous version. It's, I, I, I think only because it's famous. Um, it's, it's by a philosopher that was required reading, a uh, theologian actually, um, an archdeacon in the uh, English church. Up until about uh, 150 years ago, this was required reading, his book on natural theology. He gave us a famous version of the teleological argument. Um, we're not going to read that. Next term we will in another place in time. But um, remember, though, this argument goes back to Paley's 18th century. But in the 13th century, the famous Roman Catholic theologian Thomas Aquinas used it as one of his five arguments for God's existence. And way back before that, good old Aristotle. Aristotle was, he's about 4th century B.C., Aristotle was very much aware of this one, too. But Paley gives us kind of a modern version um, of this argument. And he's the one who says, I, I want you to get this one, because I think the cosmological and the teleological are really one big argument. Where did it come from? 
And why is it all structured instead of just the chaos? Paley said, if you're walking across a field and you come across a, a, a rock, uh, uh, sorry, you come across a rock, uh, you, you, you say, for all you know, the thing could be there just by, just by chance, by luck, by natural processes. But if you're walking across the same field and you come across a watch, um, that tells you that this thing is, it tells the time of day. It's a very complicated little mechanism. Remember, this is 1700s. This was big stuff. The monks had, in the Middle Ages had just invented clocks to tell them which, you know, when to pray on the, on the top of the hour and this sort of thing. And Paley's all fast. Today it would be like you're walking across the field and you discover a, you know, a raspberry or a, or a, or a, or a Mac computer. And, and, and you can't say, for all you know, this thing came about by chance, by natural causes, because you know the watch had to have a watchmaker. I'm sorry to say this guy turns out to be a famous deist. Uh, a deist is somebody who believes as opposed to a theist. A theist believes in God who creates and stays involved in the world, answering prayer, performing miracles, uh, uh, inspiring us with love and, and, and the Holy Spirit and all, you know, God's involved. But a deist believes all God did was create the universe. If you like by analogy, all God does is create the watch and, or create the universe with these, with these natural laws. This was the fascination in the 17th and 18th century. And there's still lots of deism in Hollywood and places like that where, and a, a lot of deism, I'm sorry to say, in science, they seem to think that God is just a watchmaker, or God is, is, by analogy, all God does is create the universe, and then because this watch or this universe has such um, incredibly complex laws, that God's no longer needed. So God is just completely transcendent beyond the world, almost so much that God becomes impersonal and lost. You know, you, it, there's no need for God because the watch is. Paley didn't know this because uh, there, was, there wasn't such a thing in the 1700s, but we would say the watch is like self-winding. It runs on its own, just like the universe runs by, by means of the natural laws that God, that God gave us. Now, that's just a big, long aside. I'd forgotten for a second that you're not in the first-year class where we talk about deism, but you should know that anyway, that Paley seemed to think that there had to be a watchmaker, that's your point, um, if there's a watch. And by analogy, he says, if you discover a universe, think how much more complex a universe is than a watch. Surely there has to be a universe maker. Or, or else, now he, this may be the fallacy of false choice. Uh, we better be aware of that. I'm not pressing you to know these fallacies, although I'm going to put a few simple ones back on the, because uh, I find that fa fascinating myself to give you a simple little thing and tell me what fallacy it is. A, B, C, or D. I'll try not to overdo it, but I think it's nice to know. The fallacy of false choice, though, when you say something has to either be A or B, it, that might be false because there may be quite a few other options. But in Paley's mind, we have two choices. I think today we have more than two. That's what I'm saying. Paley's version of the teleological argument has to be improved. He said, for all we know, you've got two choices. If, if you don't believe in a watchmaker that you're forced to say, and he goes through this whole ritual, that somehow there was a flood and the, and, and the water and the forest streams, you know, it, it came down somehow and, and, and just, just through natural processes formed this watch. Or by analogy with the universe, somehow this universe came about purely through natural causes 
or if you like, pure chance. Almost the same thing. Somehow, all of this came about on its own by pure chance. The famous skeptic who lived right after this, uh, actually just before him, um, Hume in the 17th century, uh, actually 18th century, 1711 to 1776, David Hume. Hume actually criticized this argument before Paley could pen it. Um, and Hume talked about, I don't, I don't, Hume is, is a very skeptical philosopher whose main thesis with this one, among many others, and lots of main theses, but he's saying, the teleological argument doesn't impress me. I don't believe in a watchmaker, or I don't believe that the universe had a divine cause, because for all we know, it could have come about by chance, by natural causes, by chance. Hume uses this, this, this analogy saying, just say you come across a ship. He lived in Scotland, so he's on the coast there in Glasgow. Uh, you come across a ship and you say, my God, look how structured this thing is. It's, it's, it, it, it sails the oceans and it's got all of these parts and it's so complex and it's so huge. But then Hume says, the truth is that that ship came about through hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of shipmaking, more and more sophisticated. It kind of came about through natural processes, which are not all that impressive. So he tries to make an argument against the teleological proof, and most people think he's won this thing. So like, this is why we have to do better these days, and we, and we can. I'm going I'm to wrap this up quickly, but Paley's famous version is easy to attack. Paley says either there's a God that gave us this complex world, this structure, rather than just a chaos that came into existence, and Hume is saying you don't need a God. All you need is just natural processes, chance. And he has about 120 uh, good arguments that can be refuted, but we don't have time to look at them all. So we kind of have a stalemate. I, I'm not sure. Hume is, can, be, can be answered, but, you know, he's got, he's got some points. It's like, I say it's a fallacy of two choices. Right now, you know what we'd say, right? We've got three choices I can think of. This makes this argument even more vulnerable. What if you say, for all we know, if you're resisting God, the, the structure, the order, the intricacy, the, 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 this complexity, if you don't want to say, that leads me to belief in God, that's justification, part of the justification for belief in God. What are your options? You can say it's chance, which is another way of saying natural causes. Remember my argument against chance is that there's no such thing as chance. You can't say chance is a cause. All chance is, is either something that has no cause, which is meaningless, because nothing in our experience has no cause. Everything has a cause. That's the law of causality. Or you can say chance is an unknown cause. And that's what Hume is probably saying. So when you say, for all I know, I don't believe in God, maybe all of this order and structure came about by an unknown cause. Natural causes, but unknown then you're hard-pressed to tell me what they are. And quite frankly, um, I'm, not sure, I'm not sure philosophically you can say that we, as a blob, as this universe, gave rise to our own structure. I don't know if, that, I don't know if you can make that case. We now have a third option. If it's not God, if it's not just some unknown natural cause, maybe, maybe it's evolutionary uh, advance the struggle to survive. That one, Darwin's theory of evolution, whether it's right, wrong, or indifferent, really 
hurt this argument. Um, people started wondering in the 13, in the 1840s and 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s, right up to the present, they were they were shattered. This was the most famous argument for God's existence, the teleological proof, the teleological argument. Darwin's theory of evolution gave us a third option we weren't ready for. Um, we're ready for it now. It can be answered. This is not a religion and science class, though. It's, it's too complicated. But the bottom line is, I seriously doubt that the struggle to survive um, has, has given rise to this complexity. It, it's just, there's a lot of givens in evolution, a lot of presuppositions. It's become more an ideology than, than a science in my mind. But again, that's another place and another time. I'm saying now, here's our argument, and it doesn't look as strong as it was. In the 1800s, before evolution, it's either God or chance. No question. Chance can't do it. An unknown cause, natural cause, didn't have a chance. This was a strong argument. Darwinian evolution basically claiming that it can account for the order and structure, and now we have all kinds of complicated science that talks about of this kind of structure in chemistry and biology and physics, and it, it's gotten very, very complex. I don't think anyone can see their way through this mess, and, and there is no um, unanimity on any position. I can see it used as an argument to justify belief in God because I don't think na nature can do it by itself, and, but we can do better. 1976. 1976, a guy called Carter, C-A-R-T, wrote a, an article in an unknown book and he, he started talking about the anthropic design. The anthropic argument. Science, especially in the schools in the States, you hear it all the time when somebody says in science class, besides the theory of evolution, why don't you at least give the students a little indication that there's a competing theory now. There's been one for the last 30 years. Uh, major scientists, a minority, but major scientists, legitimate people, physicists and chemists and astrophysicists, heavyweights that write books and, and have university positions, even though they're ridiculed um, and, and they've suffered lots because any new theory is ridiculed. Nobody likes to upset the apple cart. Nobody wants to throw their lecture notes away and say, I've got to start all over again. Everything I've written is wrong. So this, this is a problem. And people have done that in the past. Uh, Thomas Aquinas, who wrote like, enough volumes almost to fill this room, had a religious experience at the end of his life and said, I wish I hadn't written all this stuff. It's probably all wrong. And he became the official theologian of the Catholic Church. That's a scary thought. Um, if it's all wrong, I'm not sure why we're reading it. But I don't think it's all wrong. I think he was, he was saying that my mind wasn't expanded like it was with this religious experience, obviously. So I think I'd write different things now. Anyway, the same thing happened to St. Augustine, by the way. Like two major, the two big Christian theologians both had religious intuitions at the end of their life and did see that a lot of what they wrote was wrong. It's a scary thought, but that's at least humble and truthful. So here we have a new argument based on anthros. I was telling you last time, it's the same word as anthropology, so it's like in, in 25 words or less, it's this is an argument that the existence of anthros, human life, seems to be what the universe is all about. There is all kinds of evidence that it's all about us. Now, I hope your first reaction is, oh, come on, you egomaniac. What about the trees? What about the whales and the elephants? What do you mean it's all about us? Well, you know, that's not an outrageous statement because 
Christianity's two billion people, Islam's one plus billion people, Judaism. You know what they say? It's all about us, that there's a God. And Christianity, especially what their two billion people say, God created human beings in the image of God. We are the ones to look after creation. It is about us. This is actually a return using scientific evidence to what Christianity has already said. And Islam doesn't believe in the image of God, but it does believe that human beings are important, obviously, in God's mind, more so than trees and forests and rabbits and all of this stuff that liberals talk about these days. Like, um, whatever. There's, there's some kind of a hierarchy here that seems to be obvious. Anyway, the anthropic evidence is that there has been, you know, a, a break in this stalemate between religion and science because of this new evidence. Um, you can explain on half a page the basic fundamental laws of science. Hamilton's equations, electrodynamics, statistical mechanics, quantum mechanics, general relativity. That explains pretty much what's going on in science. That, that amazed a lot of us, that this complex world can be explained so simply in these fundamental laws. And that gives rise not to chaos, but it, it's a, it's, a, it's a weak argument in a way, but it's, it's part of the argument that there's a mind behind this. Where do these complex arguments come from? How can they evolve from nature? Remember that arguments, these, these laws of, of, of physics and chemistry and biology, mostly physics, they explain nature. They, they, they don't create nature. Laws don't do anything. You can't, you can't eat a law. You can't brush it away like it's, like it's a thing. It's not nature. It explains what we see. So the question is, how can you have a law without a mind? And they're so simple and yet so complicated. But there's half a page you can write down all the laws of nature and equations. But that's, that's a piece of the evidence that this entire universe can be explained on half a page. And once we add the toe theory, the theory of everything to that, it'll be just as short and just as complex and probably suggest to most people that there's a mind behind it. Nature can't give rise to laws. Nature operates on laws. It doesn't explain the laws. Thank you for listening. We invite you to join us for the next episode as the journey of justifying beliefs continues.